Salutations, dear listeners. My name is Brady Caleb Wilkinson. I'm Shelby Howard. And I'm Colin Anderson. And welcome to C Plus Cinema, where three guys review movies all across the spectrum. We have the in... Oh, good hell. I forgot what the hell our slogan was. Oh. Yeah, what, what is our slogan? Uh, that's a good question. Can you tell this is our seminal episode, ladies and gentlemen? We'll, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. That's enough us treading dead air. Yeah. Colin, what movie did we watch today? We watched the 1993 film Fire in the Sky. Yes, Fire in the Sky. You know what? Gen- we want to start with general opinions, like, or do we just want to wa- launch into uh, the review? I mean, we can go off just we're initial impressions of the film. Opinion. Yeah, I like the movie. I, yeah, I, I was pleasantly it. surprised. Good, I'm glad you guys liked it. That was one of those movies I discovered late night on Netflix one night. So how did you come across it? I mean, obviously late night at Netflix on Netflix, so it was just something you stumbled upon? Yeah, upon Netflix, you... and I've never heard about it before, which is really surprising because the movie came out in 93, and usually in the 90s and the 2000s, TV channels would usually show movies like that on one of the stations, but... I, yeah, I was, I've never heard about it, so I was really surprised that I'd never heard about it. So I decided to check it out, and I was really floored by it the first time I saw it. Yeah, and it's starring uh, Robert Patrick, the T-1000. And I got yeah, I know. I, I to admit that he did a real good job with it. I'm. It's, it's kind of a shame. He's a great character actor, but he's kind of one of those stories where, since he is such a great character actor, he kind of gets... Not, he doesn't get peg-holed into one type of character, but he never really rises above a supporting character when he made it for an excellent lead in this movie. Yes, he did. Yeah, like, I mean, because he kind of has to carry the torch of the film for a good part until the real main character right. shows back up. Right, yeah, because we, yeah, that is true. You know what? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess we'll get right into it. Now, just so you know, folks, uh, from here on out, it's going to be full spoilers. We're going to w- walk through the film as we review it. So, overall, we all recommend it. We haven't come up with a number or rating scale system yet. We'll figure that out as we get uh, our handle on this shit. But in, until then, it's a solid recommendation from all of us. So, from here on out, spoilers. Mm-hmm. And... All right. Uh, who wants to start us off? Uh, why not the guy that introduced it to us go off like on how he recapped the film? Well, basically, the movie is based on a true story of a real UFO abduction case. Well, I feel like okay. The, I feel like we got to put potentially some asterisks or some. Well, supposedly, yeah, a true UFO abduction. Like supposedly, right. I mean, while we're getting into that, UFOs, have people been abducted? Yes or no? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I mean, I, I, I like to think the ghosts are real, so I'm willing to lean out on a branch a little further and say that, yeah, because I've heard stories of people that, like, it's been generational. Their grandmother had been abducted, then their mom was abducted, and then when they were around the same age as the grandmother and mother, when they were abducted, they got abducted. And they feel like they've all been like planted, and they're just studying the genetic tree almost. Well, and you see, for me, what I the camp I tend to fall into is that of 
Obviously, there's alien life out there. It's a mathematical certainty. It has to exist. That being said, I don't necessarily know if it's come to our planet yet. Because you look at all the stars and once you know how empty space actually is and how long it takes anyone to get anywhere, mm -hmm. it starts to get dicey as to whether or not anyone has actually well, made it to our little rock. According to, what was it, Israel? They came out and said we've been... Contacted by aliens, didn't they say that? And council, and then, but and then also the United States Air Force just flat out released footage last year of unidentified flying objects. And so they said, yeah, we're willing to admit this isn't us. So, so I don't know if that speaks to abductions or not, but clearly there's other stuff out there that we that is beyond us. So, and at least you're not as skeptical as James Garner is in the film. Oh yes! Oh yes. yes! The he's not the sheriff. He's, he's the, the he's the investigating agent that they send in for special cases, not for like he's like a lead investigator type they call on. And and actually, that's where the movie proper begins. He's corralled all the suspects into a local diner late at night to get all their stories, and that's actually what sets us off. You know. They're all gathered around in the diner. They're talking about they've given him his story, and and he's not buying it. No, he he thinks they're all sticking together with this lie. Something else really happened because obviously, alien abduction really. Right, and then that's when the movie actually gets into the the what happened with everyone there. Mm -hmm. It starts as you know, it starts us off at his house. You know, we see his family, uh, Robert Patrick's family. What was his name? I think his name Michael. was Mike. Yeah, that's right, Mike. So yeah, we see Mike and Mike Rogers. Yeah, he's at his family's house, and you know, he's doing his deal. His kids wake him up. And you know, his... to fill in on people, the movie starts off with with these like a the tr a truck driving down a dirt road, high speed, and they end up at this bar. These uh, oh, yeah. five guys. Robert Patrick's character, Elliot from E.T., uh, director, uh, actor-turned-director Peter Berg, Greg Schaffer, who was Brad Pitt's brother in A River Runs Through It, and then another actor, I can't remember his name, but he's the dude who tries to kill young Indiana Jones on top of the train in Indiana Jones' The Last Crusade. Hot so, damn, dude. No one should ever try and beat you in, like, Trivial Pursuit when it comes to movies. You thanks. are You are a resident expert extraordinaire. Thanks. I mean, I like to give him a run for his money every now and then if it's seen it, because I've yet to find people that can beat me at seen it. But other than that, yeah, no, Trivial Pursuit, you will destroy me. Thank <laughs> you. Because that Trivial Pursuit gets to the nitty-gritty, whereas seen it, it's just movie titles and actor names. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, I... I did win a movie trivia contest one time, so... Yeah. Yeah, you... If, you're, if you're ever on a trivia team and you need me, you know, just call me up and I'll come help. So, yeah, dear listeners, uh, the, the standard has been set. Out of the three cinephiles here, Colin is undoubtedly the king. Yeah. I'll call myself the king. I just... I just retain Dude. a lot of knowledge on movies that interest me, and then I... Dude, you look IMDb like dude, kind dude, of dude, you, you into rabbit holes. Dude, dude, you're basically a Twiggy Bruce Campbell. Roll with the king thing. Seriously. <laughs> Everybody says it, you don't see it, but we all do. Yes. <laughs> well, people also say I look like Jim Carrey. 
No, I'm going more with Bruce Campbell on that one. No, okay, no, the face, okay, here's the thing is, no, the face is unquestionably Bruce Campbell. Yeah. The body is Jim Carrey. Yeah. Well, no, I was going to talk about the haircut. Oh, yes. Okay, okay, I can see that. It's a scissor cut. Yeah, I can. From Dumb and Dumber. I can see Well, it. his is more bowl cut, or if you had the straight bangs, then sure, yeah. But yeah, no, dude, if you like, uh, yeah, like if you did like a fade trim and you got your hair up, oh, you'd be Bruce Campbell all day. All day. Well, I'm not going to argue with you guys on that, but thank you. Anyways, enough about how Colin is either Bruce Campbell or Jim Carrey. Back to the uh, movie at hand. So anyway, James Garner shows up at the bar because these guys want to report that their friend, uh, Travis Walton, who's played by D.B. Sweeney, is missing. And so they recount their tale from earlier in the day. And that's when it starts off at D.B. Sweeney doing a... Driving through town on his motorcycle, kind of doing a Marty McFly thing where he's just grabbing donuts. Speaking of that, that was the first big question mark I had watching the movie where I'm like, okay, how old is this character supposed to be? Because the girl who's giving him donuts and, you know, who's looking at him longingly is, you know, is clearly like a 14, 15 year old. And he's obviously like in his like mid 20s. So I'm like... Is this guy supposed to be a teenager? Well, or oh, then it turns out later on, no, he's... Okay, no, he's actually supposed to be a grown-ass adult. Yeah, like well, the 25, film is 26. set in 75, and it says here Travis Walton was born in 1953. So, so 73, 22. 20... Two. Yeah, 22. So, okay, so yeah, he's actually supposed to be a grown-ass adult. Because I looked at that scene, and I thought, is this guy supposed to be a teenager? Because he does not look like a teenager. I think he's just a carefree guy around town that... Oh. Yeah, he's, he's a young, he's he's a a young man. He's a free spirit because it mentions later on when he's talking to his buddy, uh, Mike, that one long time while they were camping, he literally chased a bear up a tree because he wanted to make friends with it. He has no sense of danger. Period. Boy, does that bite him in the ass later. Yeah, he has like no fight or flight instinct. It's just, ooh, curiosity. Yes. So, I mean, that leads him to some, you know, that's why people love him around town, because he's jovial, he's very happy, you know, he goes to his buddy, Mike, and he's like, hey, Mike, we're going to open this business, you know, we're going to sell motorcycles, because we both love motorcycles, it's going to be great, I got my pitch. Unlike us, he actually has his pitch memorized. Yeah, because he wants to call MT, like Michael Travis Motors, and he's like, our plot, our deals are so great, our lot is almost always MT. Get it? MT. And he, da, da, da. and he drew it. Yeah. He drew the layout of the building, what, what he wants it to look like. And it's actually halfway decent. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta give him credit. Yeah, it's not just some ha- half-baked dream. He's thought all the details out. Well, I don't know. Well, okay, that type of dreamer, he usually hasn't thought out the financial parts of it, but that's neither here or there. Well, no, it seems like he was leaving that part up to Mike, because oh. he knows Mike's the more mature one. Speaking of money troubles, that's uh, the big threat hanging over Mike's head as he gets up in the morning. You know, he gets up, he says hey to his daughters and his wife. Almost immediately he's like, hey, uh, bank bill's coming due. What are we going to do? To which he says, blocking contract. I'm working on it. We're going out today. Me and my crew, we'll get that done, finish it up today. We should get the payment from that, and that should help, help us pay off the mortgage. And then they go out to the logging contract, and Mike's in tow with, uh, what was the guy's name? Dallas. Uh, the... Character description. 
the the main guy, the motorcycle guy. Oh, oh Travis. 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 Thank you. So yeah, Mike. You know, Travis is part of his crew. They're going out with the rest, and the rest of the crew is the other guys who got pulled into the diner, minus Travis. Yeah. So by this point in the movie, you know something has to go sideways because everyone else who's in the diner being interrogated by the police. It's not, they're all on edge, they're all shaken up, and Travis isn't in the diner. Yeah. So, you know, we go out to the site the day of, you know, they're all, you know, they're just a bunch of blue-collar guys doing their job. They're cutting down logs because that's what they get paid to do. And then you run into the asshole Dallas. Yes. Who goes out of his way to egg Travis on, no matter what his boss, Black, tells him. Mm -hmm. He doesn't listen to his boss for a split second. Literally takes a chainsaw and just holds it in the dude's face to try and just get a reaction out of him. Don't forget he also uh, had that tree almost fall on top of him. Oh, yeah. And then waited five seconds and went, Timber. (laughs) Right, so just obviously this dude is the asshole, Mm -hmm. so you're thinking... Okay, did he do something to Travis? Yeah. Like, obviously, that's the setup they're going. And they're thinking they're covering it up for him, even though no one in the group really likes him. Mm-hmm. Like, And this is where I do got to give the movie credit, because it's very... A lot of times films, they said they have a framing device, they have a setup that they kind of forget about and neglect. Mm-hmm. But this film actually does a pretty good job with it, because it really does inform it, because you're, you know... it. Aff- it, it's cognizant in your mind as you're watching the film. It has a real effect on the watching. Mm-hmm. So kudos for them for doing that. Also, I give the film credit for not starting out with a cold open like some movies do. Like, movie be- movie begins and then the character's already in peril and then it cuts to two days earlier. Right, which I am so, so sick, sick and, of that. Oh, God, it's awful. Not everything needs to be immediate, Ray. It's okay for a movie to start at the actual starting point on occasion. It's right up there with the whole, the ending is, and it was all a dream. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, it basically is just for the beginning. Yeah. But so, anyways, yeah, Travis is, a, is the shithead of the group, and he's antagonizing. You know, they get done with the day, they all pile into the truck, it's nighttime, they're driving home, and then there's a big bunch of red over the night sky and they're trying to figure out what it is some of them think it's a fire other think maybe a plane crashed one guy thinks it's a sunset sunset. and they immediately tell him to shut up that's clearly not a sunset one the sunset like 20 minutes earlier two no from this no this is also it's in the wrong direction right wrong direction and also it's just like blazing red yeah like blood moon red (laughs) except across the horizon there and it happens to be moving yeah so, like, in all honesty, like, my first assumption, I'd be like, okay, that's a weird fire. But, like, I get, the fire one is probably the most reasonable guess out of the lot. Yeah, because if it was a plane crash, I'm pretty sure you guys would have heard it. Right. And with the fire, now the thing is, you'd be feeling the heat and you'd be hearing it, too, in its mm-hmm. own way. But, okay, yeah, it's red. It Really, a fire would be more red, orange, and yellow. Yeah. But it, at least it kind of adds up. Yeah. Really, at this point, if it was me in that scenario, I'm immediately thinking government something. Yeah. I'm thinking, okay, spy plane crashed, or secret facility blew up, or some version. That is where I'd go with it. Yeah. Yeah. But they're going along, and they investigate it. They run in, and uh, they're getting closer and closer. 
And, you know, some of the guys in the truck are saying, you know, let's stop, let's stop, don't go that way. But Mike's like, hey, this is the only road in or out of here. If we don't get through, we're here all night. And then the road bends around a corner, and right well, as they see off the, the radio, then starts shorting out. Yeah, the radio starts shorting out, and then as they come across the bend, they look over, and just down the slope of the road is what looks to be now a blue light. Mm-hmm. And that's when Travis, no sense of danger, immediately gets out of the car because they've slowed down to basically a stop and just starts walking towards it as they all scream, What are you doing? Why are you going towards that? Travis, get back in here! And he's just in his own planet now, walking towards it like a fly towards an electric lamp. And yeah, like a fly well, towards an electric lamp, he gets fried. Well, not literally. zapped. Well, well no, because first he's standing there and he's just looking up at it because it kind of looks like like almost a mushroom cap, but upside down, very organic-y with the blue light. And then it, he looks at them and it's like, guys, you got to check this out. And then boom, he freezes and his head shoots up, like looking up at it, like some kind of static energy is going through him and he can't move. He's in paralysis. And then it throws him, throws him like a couple feet in the air. And then that's... The ground, and that's when the... They freak out. They get in the truck. They drive off. They nearly wreck the thing. In a high-speed getaway from also, it. Also, very funny about that scene, after the light throws him to the ground, that one Dallas dude, I don't know if you noticed, but he started rolling up the window to his oh, door. Yeah. He was just like... <laughs> oh, I didn't notice. <laughs> yeah, You're he right, does. he did. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, that's going to do you a lot of good. But, yeah, they get down the road, and then Mike stops the car, and is like, I have to go back for him. You guys stay here, because I don't want you in the line of danger. Just, I'm going to go back. And... He goes back, leaving them in the dark in the middle of the road to try and get back to Travis. But it's way too late. Travis is gone. So is the light. And now, then, and then you cut back to the framing device. And this is where it being a good framing device really pays off. Because everything we've just described is them, in their words, describing it to the investigators. So it... Possibly being a story and it possibly being open to something more nefarious or whatever, that's still very much on the table, which means that narrative tension is very much on the table. Like, the movie has not given away its full hand yet. Yeah. Which, once again, narrative tension. It's a good thing to maintain. And, yeah, I'm glad that the movie didn't throw it away. Yeah. And I kind of liked, once again, James Garner, legendary actor, when it cuts back to them in the bar... He's listening to them, and you can tell his character choices to try his best not to roll his eyes as hard as he really wants to. Because mm-hmm. he really wants to roll his eyes at them and go, Really? I've been an investigator for X number of years. You really think I'm going to buy this? Okay. Well, no, let's keep playing along. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, I bought his whole thing about reading the, the, the love story, his their relationship together in the notebook, just so she can come back to get him. Yeah. Drawing out the whole story. <laughs> oh, yeah, but that's a whole other thing. Like, he wasn't making anything up. But yeah, and this, no, he definitely, he doesn't buy any other story for a second, so. And then he just launches in and he starts doing the good investigator thing where he's trying to pick them apart with their motives. Like, why would you do it? How would you do it? Yada, yada, yada. See which one of the groups more the weakest link to get them to confess what he thinks could have really happened, because clearly it's not aliens. Mm-hmm. Clearly can't. That is not a possibility. Yeah. Although that is where I would say his capacity as an investigator is actually limited. Yeah. Because I understand, you, as an investigator, you don't want to believe the story you're being told by the people, but at the same token, you kind of got to be at least a little bit open to 
possibilities outside of what it first seems. He really seems to be a firm believer in Occam's razor. No, no, no. It's the simplest answer. It's the simplest answer. Right. But there comes that point where the simplest answer mm-hmm. is is the more crazy thing. Yeah. But anyways, but we're a long ways from reaching that point, you know. Yeah. Right now it looks like maybe one of them went off, you know, because we find out the one guy, Dallas, he's an ex-con with a history of violent crimes. You know, the chainsaw guy. And yeah. he's the main suspect, too, because he had an altercation with Travis earlier in the day, and it's reported that the two didn't get along, so of course the James Garner's going to suspect him. And not even 24 hours, word's already spreading through the town, and everyone thinks, oh, they murdered their friend, da-da-da-da-da. Well, God, when he gets home, when Robert Patrick gets home to his wife, his wife is just like, what happened? It's all over the radio. And I'm just like, oh, it got to the radio that fast. Yeah. But this is set in 1975, so. Small Arizona town. Mm-hmm. And also in the middle of kind of the alien abduction craze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to catch, like, wildfire. Oh, yeah. Like, when they're leaving the bar, James Garner even sees a magazine in the back of the truck, and it was like a tabloid thing on the top of it. His man in such and such state was abducted by aliens. And he went, oh, I wonder where they got their idea from. Okay. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, this is actually where the movie does a really good job. Now, this is where I think we'll tilt our hand a little. We live in a little state called Utah. Unfortunately. Yes, very much to our chagrin. We occupy this state. And the thing about Utah is it has a very small town mentality, even when you're in the biggest cities. There's a sort of subtle insidiousness to the kindness that you, you experience. Yeah, just because someone's smiling doesn't mean they like that you're around. Mm-hmm. And, and just because they'll say something nice to your face doesn't mean that they won't pull the daggers out the instant you're out the door. And I bring this up because the movie does a very good job of getting that at that part of the small town atmosphere very well done. Yeah. Where they can't wait to spin on these guys and go, oh, you murdered him, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And... They don't need any more info. They've got enough to weave their own little stories together and then build off of each other's. And before you know it, and this is where I really started to dislike Mike's wife, I got to admit. Like, on the one hand, I do get it when you're in a small town like that. Rumors are legitimately dangerous, and you have to account for them. Yeah. But, man, she flipped on him quick. Yeah. Like, I get it. Like, even if you don't don't believe the alien abduction story, like, clearly he experienced something yeah. out there, you know? Yeah. Like, this isn't just a pure fabrication. Like, if you have any trust in your partner at all, he saw something. And also, it's his best friend, the long-term boyfriend of his little sister that's missing. He has no motive. Oh, and by the way, well, actually, and he no does motive. have one motive. He do, it's kind of a weird motive, but he does have one motive. Because that best friend is the boyfriend of his sister. Yeah, but... But, yeah. It was more just like, eh. And he has no reason to help. It's, Dallas was the one who killed him. There's no reason for him to help Dallas no. cover it up. Right, that's Same with that's the other the real men thing. in the group. Yeah, that's the real thing, is there's no reason for them to help Dallas, if that's what it was. Yeah, because none of them like him. They all tolerate him for the, the paycheck. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm kind of disappointed that Henry Thomas was underused in this. 
uh, this character wasn't necessary. It didn't. Re- he was there for what he was supposed to. I kind of feel they almost casted him because they were just like, it's the kid from E.T. We're making an alien movie, so if we have the kid from E.T. in this movie, maybe people will come and see well, it. Also, one of the reasons I think this film kind of did, went under the radar, one of the big movies that one. Because two big movies came out in 93. One of my favorites, Interview with a Vampire, and then I believe also Legend of the Fall, which has that actor in it. And I think... Well, even, Jurassic Park also came out that year, but that doesn't really no. correlate. But I, like, uh-huh. I think he was starting to get more headway because that was a huge film that won awards was Legends of the Fall. And I think... Uh, Legends of the Fall and Interview with a Vampire came out in 94. Okay, so he was filming it right after those ones. Maybe his schedule... He could only be there for so long before he had to go hop over to those two. This movie came to out that one to March March of the Ball. I mean, twelfth oh. of ninety three. Well, more so. I just don't think that character had much more to offer to the narrative than what he already did. I mean, he's a good actor. We would have liked to see more of him, but I just don't think there's that much more his his role mm. would have offered in the story. You know? Yeah, like he's just the naive, easily scared, kind of dumb one in the right. group. Exactly. Mm. So. Yeah. But anyway, so the town starts to turn on him. You know, everyone's certain they're murderers. The only one that really seems torn that is the sheriff, because they all live in this small town. They've known each other for years. He's the only one that kind of seems mildly conflicted about it. Like, I don't want to say you guys are murderers, but I don't know where else to think. Thank the gods that the sheriff didn't just flat out label them murderers, because the town pe- townspeople, because we get to the church scene where they're talking about... Well, really, they're just screaming at the sheriff. Why haven't you made any arrests yet? Mm-hmm. You know, and they're just—they just want blood. They want these guys' blood. Look, if the sheriff didn't have their back, these boys would have been dead. Oh, mom mentality in a heartbeat. Oh. Well, I can see what movies came out the week this was released. This actually was number one with a gross of eight million. Really? What, that, what, what was it going against? Well, something called CB Four, which I've never seen. At number three was Falling Down. Okay. At number four was Groundhog Day. Okay. Okay. At number five, A Far Off Place. Six, The Crying Game. Seven, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Eight, Aladdin. Nine, Mad Dog and Glory. And ten, Amos and Andrew. So basically, at least half those films on that list, even though it outgrossed them on opening weekend, all those films are better remembered in the cultural memory than this film. So it didn't get overshadowed on its opening weekend, but it got overshadowed by time. Yeah. So, so anyways, so yeah, they're they're at the church, and they're getting ready to basically, you know, basically lynch these guys. Yeah, and Mike is overhearing. He's walked in halfway through, and eventually just instead of being, you know, hidden in the back, finally just snaps and starts yelling at him, like, how dare you guys? I've We've grown up together. You should know me better than this. Like, we went to high school together, and now your kids go to school with my kids, and such and such with you people. Like, and you know what? Like, because they bring up that the guys weren't willing to do a lie detector test because they weren't comfortable about it because Dallas has a bad history with them. Mm-hmm. And also, if you just know anything about the history of lie detectors in this country, you, you one, you know that they're not that hard to deceive. Yeah, there's a reason why they're not used in court. Right. Like, just... They're not admissible. And only on Dr. Phil. 
Right. So so just put that in perspective. So if you ever find yourself in a scenario, dear listeners, where the cops are telling you, oh, just take the lie detector test. If you got nothing to hide, you know, they'll set you free. That's rank bullshit. Because when it comes to, right down to it, the courts, the thing that actually matters, they don't trust them. Daytime talk shows are what trust them. Yeah. Like, no, don't, don't do it. And it's mainly because the lie detector, all it really detects is your breath rate and your heart rate. Yeah. So, so, so long as you don't have a panic attack, it's not going to register a, a lie as a lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if you have an irregular heartbeat, then you're kind of screwed from the get-go because it's going to show duress when you're not really feeling any duress or stress. Right, or God forbid, you know, you're feeling duress because you're under investigation for like murder, and you're thinking about all the th- ways your life could be over, and maybe yeah. that'll give you a bad reading. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, in the church, he finally goes, you know what? Fine, we're ready to prove it. We will take that lie detector test. Screw it. Hook us up. We'll, we'll all show up. We'll all take it. And the sheriff's like, really? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And they all pass. Well, first they say it's. Uh, there was one that's inconclusive. Inconclusive. So we have to have you guys come back, to which Mike goes, hell no. Mm-hmm. Because basically, yeah, that's kind of what the law enforcement will do with you. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is me being a hyper cynic towards uh, the legal system, I admit, but I feel it's kind of justified at this yeah. point in time. But, yeah, like, basically the law, once they have, once you are their target... They're going to do everything in their power to get you. That's why, like, I thought it was apropos how Mike phrased it when he was telling him why not. He's like, we've been your gerbils. We've done your tests. Just because you didn't get out of it what you wanted doesn't mean we're going to do it again. We're done. Right. We've done what we can do. If you don't like our story, tough. Seriously, people, do not trust the cops. (laughs) If you take one thing from this podcast, do not trust the cops. Well, the one guy running the polygraph test, he was just like, Hey, it looks like these guys are just t- are telling the truth. So at least he was giving them the benefit of the doubt. Unlike James Garner's character, who keeps looking at them suspiciously with with really heated intent. Right, and this is where the movie, once again, giving real credit here to the writing of the movie. This is where the tension gets shifted. It doesn't get relief, but it gets flipped. Mm -hmm. Because this is now at the point of the movie where as the viewer, you're like, okay, maybe these guys didn't see what they they thought they saw, but they definitely thought they saw it. Yeah, maybe maybe it's not a murder after all. Like, maybe for lack of better wording, this might be real. Yeah. And then... It's that night... Mike is in his living room with his daughter asleep on his lap, and the phone rings. Mm-hmm. And his wife tells him, it looks like it's from a payphone. We're not going to Well, no. She says uh, a crank call, because she's been getting crank calls uh, all yeah, day. Right. It, you know, international celebrity, so yeah. Yeah, so she's like, do we really want to take this? He's like, let me see. And he answers the phone, and it's a... Uh, the uh, operator going, uh, this is a f- one from a phone booth. Do you want to take the call? And he was like, yeah, sure. And all of a sudden, it's Travis's voice on the other end going, Mike, is that you? Yeah, I need help. Click. Right. And it's like, oh, my God. 
and then they're in the car. He's in the car with Travis's brother and uh, his, his sister, who is Mike's girlfriend or Travis's girlfriend. Right, Travis's girlfriend. Yeah, that would have been weird. Yeah, that would have been very weird. weird. And also, uh, Peter Berg's character, I forget his name. I mean, I'm not going to lie, I was a little weirded out the way they introduced Mike's sister. I thought it was his daughter for a second. I'm like, please don't say your best friend is dating your daughter. Oh, oh, I totally... Oh, speaking of that, I 100% thought that was the case. Because, okay, speaking of not knowing ages, uh, when she's there lying in the bed in, like, the kid's room or whatever... Until she fully lifts her head up to the light. I'm she like, looked anywhere from 12 to 19. I'm like, uh, is that a 13-year-old he's kissing? And then she stands up and you get a better look at, like... And they're like, oh, no, she's like 19, 22, somewhere in there. And then you breathe heavy, like, whoo, okay, movie's still not going there. Still weird if it's his daughter. It's his daughter. And then they're like, I'm not going to let you marry my sister. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> like, I know you guys are small town hicks a little bit, but don't sell the trope too hard yeah, here. You don't need to be hicks to that degree. Yeah. And thankfully they're not. But speaking of tensions being relieved. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But anyways, yeah, Mike calls on the phone. They all pile into the car. It's pouring rain. They drive to the gas station where they think he is. They're looking for him. The, you know, sister, girlfriend, you know, she spots something, tells him, stop, 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 stop. And it's a naked man huddled against yeah, the Yeah, fatal box. position. Yeah, right in the corner by the icebox. Soaked from the rain. And it's Travis. And he's alive. And he is not okay. He's in shock. Anytime they try to touch him, he makes these howls. Mm-hmm. And then when they try to get him to talk, all he does is he points to his mouth with his lips pursed. And they're like, oh, he needs water. Somebody get him some water. Right. And then and then they get him inside to a place. And then this is one of the parts where I do not understand no. what the hell they Mike were Mike decides, I'm not going to call the police. I'm not going to get him an ambulance for the hospital. I'm going to call paranormal investigators to shove a mic in his face into Travis's face and try and get some answers out of him. Yeah, like, one, what the fuck are you thinking, dude? (laughs) This is your best friend, and this is kind of a dick move. Yeah, like, like this is super sus. Yeah, like, is this your skeevy way of trying to get some extra money to pay off that mortgage? Right. (laughs) But once again, credit to the script, that's where having that threaded earlier Mm -hmm. creates that tension later. Yeah. This, I don't know who wrote the screenplay, but kudos to them. They did a good job. Like, they did a bunch of the little things a screenwriter doesn't get credit for very well. Yeah. Well, I think maybe because they saw a UFO and he just figured since the cops won't believe him, they'll have the UF, they'll have the UFO guy interview him because maybe the, Travis will tell a UFO guy what will happen and it'll give credibility to their story. That's... Well, I think he called the UFO guy, but uh, I do think he should have brought the he should have took he should have taken Travis to the hospital first before calling yeah, the UFO guy. Yeah, I really don't think they would have taken the UFO's guy's word much because that's might as well have gotten a conspiracy theorist in there to back you up. Oh, totally. They're just gonna go, uh huh, sure, okay, yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. where have you been locking him up this whole time? Right, is that's exactly where it would have gone. And so, but now all of a sudden, Mike's alive. And so the town... Travis is alive. Travis. Sorry, I'm probably going to make that mistake a few more times. I apologize. But, yeah, Travis is alive. And all of a sudden, the main theory of the case has a giant hole blown in it. You know, obviously he was not murdered. Yeah. And as they're wheeling him in the hospital, the lights are causing him to have, like, PTSD flashbacks to his time on what looks like some alien place 
And now this is when the movie's getting prepared to actually show you show us its hand. Mm-hmm. It's not quite there yet, but it's getting close. But first, uh, Mike visits Travis in the hospital, and he starts trying to cheer Travis up, and then uh, he starts telling Travis what happens, and Travis looks at him accusingly, saying, you left me. And then Mike gets mad, saying, well, if you hadn't left the truck in the first place, none of this would happen, and he just storms out and leaves, and... Where do we stand on that whole thing there? Because I am firmly on Mike's side here. Like, yeah, I want to. I yeah, want to be on Travis's side, but at the same time, the fact that he jumped out of that car wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and walked towards the light without any sense of caution. Like, let's also be fair here. Uh, Travis doing that put everyone else in danger too. Like, I, I, I want to be sympathetic and give Travis the benefit of the doubt, but at the end of the day. No, I can't. I just, I, I can't come up with a good reason to. I have to be on Mike's side. Yeah, or it's like, uh-huh. Like, I get being curious and something supernatural, but at the same time, if there's a group of others there and we're not sure if this is hostile or not, faint on the side of caution. Right. Oh, totally. Unless you've got some kind of positive sign that, that, that it's welcoming, even then you should still have your guard up. Yeah. But... If you've got no indication at all, and this is truly like an unworldly power that you have no context for at all, you, okay, you can risk your life investigating that. You cannot risk other people's life doing no. that shit. Even if the, an alien popped down with shades on and said, hey, you guys want to try some, some, uh, out of this world drugs? Don't worry, they're not addictive. Come on, hang out. Oh, Plus, to be fair, they did think he died when he got, when the light well, yeah, because he just laid there for a minute before they hauled ass out. Because it pretty much, like, stunned him and then threw him to the ground, and then he was just, like... Because you could almost see, like, this electrical current-looking thing pulse through him for a minute. Right. And also just the panic hit the them. panic yeah. hit him. And pure flight instinct took control. Yeah. But Mike did go back. To s- but by the time he got back, there was nothing. nothing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Now... When does he start remembering? Does he start remembering so he while gets he's released still from in the hospital? Or? He has some flashes. And then after he gets released from the hospital, it's his welcome home party. That's the right. The light in the window of the living room makes him start feeling weird. And so they find him. His girlfriend finds him a few minutes later after she's gotten people to leave, well, give him some space. Well, before we get there, this is actually another thing where I really like how the movie shows kind of the assholeness. That's not a word, but of the small town the, where their kindness say, is kind of laced with a selfishness. I'd say in that case, it's them just not being conscious or more almost ignorant because they're not thinking of, oh, he's well, they so don't traumatic. Care. They don't realize that, well, they don't re- realize that he was abducted by a UFO because... Well, well, the thing is, you don't have to realize that this dude has been abducted by a UFO. Like, I mean, it's still is, something traumatic happened. Some, but some I don't think room. they think that that's when traumatic happened to him. I think they just think that he was. They found him beat up naked in the in beat the, up naked in the woods, and the, he screams when people touch him, and so they fill his house with like a hundred people. Well, that's who are on all his like girlfriend. slapping on his back. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Is like the that's kind of like people to. No, well, that's, that's why I say ignorance. They're not thinking about it. Yeah, they don't. But it's a willful ignorance. It's yeah. the they type of thing they don't it. care to know about. They're too it. busy being happy that he's alive to go to step two, three, and four. Right, exactly. To be like, oh, hey, this dude's having a this dude's freaking out because of how many people are around him. Like it's a thoughtlessness. That's yeah, it's that's a, what I'm saying. Repercussions are kind of a foreign concept. 
Right. It's like, hey, we want to express our love of you regardless of what effect it has on you. Yeah. Like, that's what I mean when I say it's a selfishness. Yeah. But, but anyways. But, but when his girlfriend finds one at the table, what kind of... He's being triggered, but the one thing that knocks him back to the... What makes him have the full flashback is when she spills the honey and it's running... The maple syrup. Yeah, the maple syrup, and it's running on the table, and then it falls and it lands on his face. Really good good shot, by the way. Yeah, it drips on his face, and you get the full flashback you've only been seeing snippets of. And then hands on the table, and yep, it's unquestionable what happened to him now. Yeah, he wakes up in this gooey sack that's barely big enough for him to be laying in. And there's these things that kind of almost look like ramen noodles, but more gelatin all around his legs and feet, and bits of them are on him. Something truly alien and disgusting. Yeah. Well, he's almost like in a cocoon. Yeah. And he sees that the wall, there's like a light through this almost fleshy sack wall to his left. Membrane. Yeah, membrane. And he's pushing on it, pushing on it, and finally he decides to see how far he can push it, and his hand pops out. So he's able to tear it up, and when he peers out, he is in this black, organic-looking tunnel with different little pods everywhere. Which, I gotta admit, I love the design of the alien, for lack of a better wording, spaceship here, where, because so often the alien spaceship is a hyper-clean, basically, Apple Store spaceship. Yeah, metallic. Mm-hmm, metallic, clean, all that jazz. No, this is, this is a truly, like, alien thing. What it made me think of, for any of you who have played Mass Effect, is in the second one, the collector ship, except less insect-like. This, this instead of eggs, it's literally just membrane pods put all around this tube. And he realizes outside of his pod is less gravity. Right. As he floats out of it as he pushes himself out. Which I guess they got that scene, they did it with a bunch of wire work. I mean, I don't know how else they would have done it. Yeah. Yeah, and... Yeah, he has to climb out, and he's like trying to pull himself along, and then he accidentally propels himself into another pod, where there's this brown goo that he looks to the side and realizes it's the inner juices of somebody who's died in there, a human that's died in there and has been rotting. And it's really the just the upper torso yeah, of a human. Yeah, like the skin's still attached until right below the rib cage, and then it's just nothing and brown goo. Right, and he's just and he's basically burst through that membrane, and it's just shoved his hands into the rotted. Mucus. Mucus. That's that was once human organs. And as you'd expect, it freaks him out. He screams and pushes himself out. So he's floating again and tries to climb, find, get a grab, grapple for himself, basically a footing, if you will, to try and climb through the tube towards this light at the end. Mm-hmm. And he gets there. Well, he gets halfway through, and then all of a sudden, it's like the gravity reverses because it flips him the other way, mm-hmm. where the pole's now going towards the light, whether instead of away from it. And then he finally starts getting to it and. As he looks up the light, he thinks he sees some sh- some shapes, but then he sees his key with the snowflake keychain floating up. So he tries to go to grab for it, but the gravity pulls him towards the key as because he's pushing himself towards it, and he ends up in this area where at first you think, "Oh, now there's grays on display." Mm-hmm. Classic Roswell grays. And honestly, at first we thought, "Oh, that's a shitty effect." Well, we- yeah, we're like. Wow, the budget got cut here because these look like the plastic figures you see out in those desert gas stations, like in southern Nevada, northern Arizona. Mm-hmm. Boy, were we, boy, were we pleasantly wrong about that. They're spacesuits. 
which is honestly a really cool idea for the idea of the gray concept of an alien. What we've been seeing isn't really their form. It's just their suit, protective suit, for while they're on the ground. It also explains why it looks plastic and fake, because yeah. it's not actually them. Because as he's looking at it and he turns one around to open the back to its inside, you see from behind his shoulder, one of them Move. unhooks itself and starts moving towards him. Because one of them's in its suit. And then, you know, it reaches, it grabs his shoulder, he reacts, knocks it back, knocks its helmet off, and oh, this is a legit alien. Yeah. And they're really scary looking, too. They're like... I don't know. I kind of... Face-wise, I found him a little adorable. They don't, they don't look really friendly. They kind of look pissed off that he was running around. I didn't see that they're, they're just like pissed off because they don't have much to express with. But right, the th- thing is, like, what I like is they're they're foreign. They're alien. They're not. I you know they're not like the xenomorph. They're not like horrifying, but they're definitely not human. No, and honestly, like I said, like their non-threatening look outside the spacesuit. Might work in their benefit because they're big, naive people out there. If they saw them without the space, you might be like, Oh, you don't look threatening. What are you? Right. And that's to their benefit because they are kind of collectors. As it, because they as start. You, yeah, as you see, as they're dragging, dragging them, them through the tunnel that's full of dirt and old tennis shoes and, and books, bike parts, and then some gla- old glasses fly up that are cracked in one of the lenses. Like they've been collecting humans for a while. And this is the stuff that they had to leave behind after they were done examining the humans, which, by the way... is quite horrifying. Like, it, what I really like about this is so often, you know, alien abduction gets reduced down to just the simple one-joke punchline. Oh, did they anally probe you? Ha, ha, ha. No, this scene treats it for the absolutely horrifying experience it would be. Yeah, they... Literally throw him on a table, start ripping his clothes off, flip him back on his back once he's completely nude, and then they wrap him from he- over his head down over his feet with this white semi-clear wrapping. I might be volunteering t- too much information here, but have if you've ever been to like a bondage night at like yeah, a nightclub, yeah, it's very much like the vacuum. Yeah, where it, like once they wrap it on it, it seals around him. And then they use the scalpel type thing to cut a hole for one of his over one of his eyes, so one eye can see out, and over the mouth, just so he can see what's coming, and just so he can scream, and also so they can stick a mouth opener thing in there, and then shove oh, a bunch of disgusting goo down yeah, his to throat. lubricate, and then they stick what looks like an electrical silver electrical cord through that Ugh. down his throat. Ugh. And then they have a clamp on the eye to make sure the eyelid doesn't close, and they pour this white, milky liquid over the eye. Mm-hmm. And then the needle just descends. And then right as the needle slowly goes towards his eye, right as it's about to hit his eye, and his pupil gets like, oh! He wakes up, and he's back at the hospital with the doctor that had been supervising him, going, are you okay? And this is where the investigator is... Okay, n- some of this is because we now know for certain that it, this is not a hoax. Yeah, we just relived his nightmare for... Mm-hmm. So that kind of pits us against the investigator here a little. Well, especially because he has a shit-eating grin on his face when you first see him. But he really becomes... That's where the investigator really becomes an asshole. Yeah. Well, he's just determined to prove him wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, he's had five days to come up with this story. Yeah, five days in the woods to, to practice this story. But mm. the problem is he's got no physical evidence to prove him wrong. Right. Yeah, yeah. and that's why uh, 
when he was first getting brought, Travis was first getting brought home from the hospital. His girlfriend stopped at the store to get some stuff, and the sheriff walked over. Well, not the sheriff, but the investigator walked over to the car and was just like, "Well, you've become quite the celebrity. I saw those kids just asked for your autograph. You're probably loving this, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I hear they're offering you quite a deal for your story. You've got it made. Mm-hmm. Like nice, but clearly, if you're not paying attention, asinine. Right. Well, basically, you know, he. Kn- this is where. All right, this is where the investigator needs to, once again, needs to be a little bit more open-minded to stuff. I'm not saying the investigator needs to buy the alien story, but there comes a point where you need to be open to the idea that something more happened here. Like, I mean, maybe one of these days, you know, maybe we'll, maybe if we watch like the Mothman prophecies or something, I'll really dive into this. But like, look, there's a ton of like secret government shit that has been done over time to warp people's brains with drugs or fumes or one thing or another. And it's like, okay, at a certain point, you have to put that kind of shit on the table if you're an investigator. Like, I get it. In the back of your head, if you do, you know you're going to get your ass kicked to the curb if you push that at all. But you have to acknowledge that as, like, a possibility. Yeah. If you're actually doing your job any kind of decent. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But, yeah. Hell, it could have been something as simple as like a fissure opened up in the ground, and like some like in like some geothermal gas got him, and he's tripping balls because of it. Oh yeah, but that this is why like one thing I learned in like I think it was sociology class where it's actually really if they were making it up, it's really hard to get a group to stick to a story and stick to every detail the whole time. Oh, it's almost impossible. Right. It's if it's bullshit, it's really hard for them to stick to it. Right. Especially when you press them, when you can find them, when you get them on edge. Yeah, that's why, like, one of the things that trips up murderers when they get caught is they change their story way too much every time. Right, because no human can have that, well, not no human, there's a few true sociopaths out there who can actually pull it off. But, no, most humans, they can't maintain that level of discipline over a scenario that's stressful. Yeah. So the fact that all of these people, even one that they don't like, are all willing to stick to the story. They genuinely seem like they're all traumatized, especially Travis, who was abducted. It's like, there is a level of, give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they really do think this happened. Maybe this, honestly, they weren't trying to do anything, and they really think this happened. Okay, end of story. Well, almost the end of story. Then we get a flash well, forward yeah. a couple of years. I'm just being like, end of investigation for the investigator. Right, 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 right. But, like, yeah, the actual end of the actual movie story, you know, they flash forward a couple of years. Travis is married, Mike's sister. They have a couple kids. Yeah, she, they have one boy who's almost two, and you can see she's got a baby bump with another on the way. Mm-hmm. And they're having breakfast. He's helping her get the kids at the table to get them fed. And then he goes for a drive through the woods and ends up at this old cabin-looking place. Mm-hmm. And it turns out Mike has been living out there. And his hair's grown. He's got a beard. He honestly looks like he's his a wife member of a Travis tri- tribute band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of looks like Kid Rock. Yeah, no, he actually... Mountain Man Kid Rock, maybe, but... <laughs> but yeah, his wife has left him. He sounds like he hasn't seen his kids in forever. Yeah. And it, and then we get a clue on the time scale when Travis says, what's, what's it been, two and a half years? He says, it's been like, what, two years? And Mike, without hesitation, he was two and a half. They haven't talked since that night in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, basically it turns out Travis was there. He's like, let's go for a ride, man. I, I really need to talk to you. And he gets him to go. 
and they go to the spot where he was abducted. And he tells them, he's like, look, I've had a lot of time to think about this, and I don't blame you. I understand exactly why you did what you did. It's not your fault. I'm cool with you, man, if you're, if you're okay with that. And Mike, Mike basically says, yeah, same here to you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, and then Travis is like, hey, uh, you might not know this, but you're going to be an uncle a second time over. He's like, second time? He's like, wow, you really don't get worried out here. No. Yeah, he's been truly cut off. Like, the community just cut him off and just threw him away. Yeah. Well, it's more like he... Exiled himself. Exiled himself, and... Because Travis does say, people miss you. And, yeah, he probably just feels guilty that about the whole thing, and he probably feels a little betrayed that the town turned turned on him. So he probably thought it was best, but... But Travis is just telling him, hey, come home. Yeah, and then he's like, Mike goes, I really hate this area. And Travis is like, yeah, me too. He's like, can we, so Mike's like, can we please leave now? I don't like being in this area. They're probably going to come back. To which Travis looks at him with a grin and goes, no, they're not going to come back. I don't think they liked me very much. <laughs> and then they laugh and then they reconcile their friends again. Yeah. They cut over to the explanation of what happened to the real people from there. It seems like they lived happy lives. For the most part. And they redid the test again 20 years later in like 1993. With Travis involved. And Travis involved this time too. And they all passed. So So I guess that's the note we should end this on. Do we believe them? I mean, look, there's obviously what the movie presents. What do we think about the reality of Well, may I add something? Yes. This is according to trivia on IMDb. The abduction portrayed in the movie actually had nothing to do with Walton's account. Really? After being struck by the light, Walton remembers waking up on a table surrounded by three aliens, whom he described thusly. Their bald heads were disproportionately large for their puny bodies. They had bulging, oversized craniums, a small jaw jaw structure, and an underdeveloped appearance to their features that was almost infantile. Their thin-lipped mouths were narrow. I never saw them open. Lying close to their heads on either side were tiny, crinkled lobes of ears. Their miniature, rounded noses had small, oval nostrils. The only facial feature that didn't appear under, underdeveloped were those incredible eyes. Those glistening orbs had brown irises twice the size of those of a normal human's eyes, nearly an inch in diameter. The iris was so large that even parts of the pupils were hidden by the lids, giving their, the eyes a certain cat-like appearance. There was, there was very little of the white part of the eye showing. They had no lashes and no eyebrows. According to Walton's account, he leaped up from the table, grabbed an instrument on a nearby table, wielded it as a weapon, and swung it at the aliens. Wow, that is they, not portrayed in the movie at all. I mean, they, I up, like the first third of the description, I'm like, that's pretty much good. And then once he got to the ears and the nose yeah, and like, the irises, I'm like, okay, no, never mind. Nope. They filed out of the room. Walton walked into a room with a high-backed chair in the middle and took a seat. Upon operating a set of controls, he deduced that he was in some sort of observatory. Suddenly, a man in a blue suit with a glass helmet came through a doorway. When Walton spoke to him, he didn't respond. He merely guided Walton through the doorway. The wordless man led Walton through a doorway out of a saucer-like object into a hangar filled with other saucers, down a hallway, and into a room that featured three more humans. Walton's questions continued to go unanswered as they motioned for him to lie down on the table. One of the humans, a woman, placed a mask over his face, and he immediately passed out. All of this was consciously recollected by Walton when he when undergoing hypnotic regression soon after the incident he revealed no further information and stated that he felt as though delving any deeper would kill him 
So I wish they had shown the blue suited guy in the film. That actually would have been kind of cool. Well, the thing is, like, that's where okay, the film took a very hard right turn from that account because that, so, like it's it, it's similar to a point and then radically and then, different. Here's something else. The film's alien abduction scenes bear no resemblance to Travis Walton's actual claims. Screenwriter Tracy Torm reported that executives found Walton's account boring and insisted on the changes. Yeah, well, honestly, yeah, I could see that because they want to... They want it more traumatizing. Yeah, they wanted to make it a horror scene, so they made it a horror scene. So, but that gets to the the quote-unquote reality of the scenario. In the logic of the movie, in the realm of the movie, this unquestionably happened to the dude. Yeah. But since this is based in the most gigantic air quotes I can provide, based on a true story, I might be the investigator asshole among the three of us here. Do yeah. we do we believe the story? I, I think I'm, I fall more in line with the sheriff where I'm like, you know what? These guys just don't strike me as the type to lie. And honestly, he's alive. That's where my concern ends. <laughs> Like, no harm, no foul here. <laughs> if it's real, it's real. If it's fake, it's fake. He wrote a book about it. It sold. He made money. So, kudos to you. But if it's if it's real, then, you know, as Agent Mulder says on the X-Files, you know, I want to believe. Yeah, I, I want to believe. Like I said, I, I'm willing to believe in ghosts. With my own experiences, so, I mean, this is just a little stretch further in my mind. Right. And look, cards on the table, I, yeah, I know there's got to be intelligent life out there. It's a mathematical certainty that there's other life forms out there besides us who've achieved some level of technology. I don't doubt that for two seconds. I totally believe in, you know, for lack of a better rewarding ghosts and stuff, because we know for a fact there are different dimensions than ours, and it's not that hard for me to believe that sometimes there's some kind of weird overlap and stuff between the two comes through for a split second, uh, because there's a bunch of shit about the universe we do not understand. And if and we put the word, like, ghost to that stuff, or spirits, or yada yada, demon, yada yada yada, because that's just... It's a word that helps our brain understand the big working mechanism of the universe. With all that said up front, I don't actually know if I believe him. Because, now, it's maybe that, I think, allow me to word that better. It's not that I don't believe him. It's that I think a, I think different circumstances better explain his account. This is where I fall into... Never underestimate the United States government's capacity. Foreign governments, maybe? Oh, no, U.S. government. I well, mean, you, know, you look at the history of, like, MK Ultra is real. Yeah. And they, none, time and time and time again, the CIA has unknowingly poisoned people with all sorts of drugs just to see what the hell would happen. So it's like, oh, yeah, is it... Is there a possibility, like, some gov- some government, something was doing some kind of test out there, testing some kind of drug, some kind of emission, some kind of fume, and he inhaled it, and it induced some kind of something, and then he was brought into, and now actually... Well, this from is his real account, it real- sounded like he was in some sort of facility, because he said he was brought into a hangar full of right. flying saucers, and I can't but- see it. It would be, have to be a really big spaceship 
for for something to have other saucers in real big right like, which is why would, death star big which is what makes not me even th- quite that big like enterprise big would work too right well that's what makes me think that okay that if something really did go down here it's much more the united states government testing some kind of hallucinogen on a person and then bringing them into their facility to run the tests yeah like i believe that in two seconds but you're oh listen to this 30 years after the book's release, Walton appeared on the Fox game show The Moment of Truth and was asked if he in fact was abducted by UFO on November 5th, 1975. Oh, have you guys ever seen that show? That show is wild, man. Uh, I remember seeing some of that. Yeah, I never really watched it, but to which he replied, yes, the polygraph test determined he was lying. So he passes at one moment and then fly, fails at the next? Well, like you said, they're faulty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is a Fox game show. Too, so um, I almost wonder if Fox rigged it though. Well, look once again, they're they're aiming for maximum and ratings. On January nineteenth, twenty twenty one, Travis Walton appeared on episode one thousand five hundred ninety seven of the Joe Rogan Experience. Oh, he did. Oh, holy shit! I might have to look that up. Oh, hmm. I that's right because I remember in some older ones from like the past year when they brought that up, especially when uh, I can't remember his name, but the one that Joe. Always gets high off his balls with. Uh, they always bring up aliens. And that's the guy who's been begging well, to try and get on. No, 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 no. It's one of his uh, comedian buddies. So. Duncan Trussell. Duncan yes. Trussell. Yeah, they, they wear their NASA jackets and they get high. <laughs> but they bring up aliens and, like, I believe it was Travis is like Joe Rogan's, like, when it comes to his, the t- his discussion with aliens, like, the guy he's always been wanting to get on. He's like, he's the best abduction story person we've ever encountered like that the world ever encountered i want him on here i really want to try and get him on here so that's cool he apparently finally got him on here after all these years of bringing up how badly he wanted him on oh shit yeah i gotta look that up i mean yeah. i might have watched that episode but i don't remember it well it said it was this year so and i i don't i haven't followed and melissa's met him at a couple of ufo conventions oh she has yeah now melissa for the viewers it, for the, the listeners, is uh, Colin's fiance. Which, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Like, and comment, and subscribe, and do that, all that stuff for uh, Colin's engagement. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, when you guys come over next week, you can ask her about him. Mm-hmm. She, she, said, she says he's a real nice guy. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, like, I don't... The thing is, I don't necessarily want to call him a liar because I can see a bunch of scenarios where something went down with him. But in the real story, I don't think he was abducted. I just don't. I think I think if he... Well, allow me to rephrase. It's not that he wasn't abducted. He was abducted. Just not by aliens. Just not by aliens. And, and this all was happening during the 70s, so yeah, that's all MK Ultra time. That's all... That perfectly aligns with... All that yeah. crazy shit the CIA was doing. Well, and like the alien well, frenzy started in the 50s with Roswell. You know what was really a really interesting like little late 80s. thing that they mentioned in the movie, but they never really went anywhere with it? When uh, they're searching for Travis in the woods, uh, the two guys, uh, the dude from Indiana Jones and that Peter Berg guy there, they see someone in the distance there, and it's Apache Indian. He was like, oh, there's an Apache reservation nearby and i was like well indians have uh beliefs in ufos and stuff like that uh 
I'm kind of surprised they never went anywhere with that in the movie. That's touchy ground to go like, on. Okay, did, they like, do have some. Well, okay, stories. Like, well, dude, okay, let's just be cognizant like the, that we are three ultra white dudes here. Like, um, oh, should I said Native American? No, 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 no. That's not what I mean. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, it is no, better no, no. to say Native American, but yeah. Yes, it it is better, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, um, yeah, like the thing, people's. Different beliefs are very diverse. And Especially among the different tribes. They yes. They go in every direction. Mm. So to narrow in on theirs and be truthful, that would have been a process in and of itself for the film crew. Well, really what it, it is, it's just a red herring. Yeah. That's all it well, is in the film. Well, I'm just surprised it didn't But I'm just saying, like, to say, oh, the Native Americans believed their spirits were aliens, like... That's the part where I'm like, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. It's, also, a, it's, it's, a, it's not like you've said anything offensive. It's just that, you know, you, you're speaking out of turn. But That's also, all. the reason I'm sure they didn't do that is they had other priorities that were much more important than a history lesson from them at the moment. Right, exactly. But once again, in the movie, it's just a red herring. Yeah. That's why the guy never comes back. Because it's yeah, just to why make they you never think, go try to talk to him or find him. Right. It's just to make you think, oh, is this like a spirit, something? You know, it's. But this is once again uh, just a how a good screenwriter does a bunch of little things right that pay off over the course of a movie. Yeah. You know, you introduce red herrings, you keep options open so that the audience can't zero in on the obvious answer too fast. Yeah. So yeah. No, uh, who wrote the screenplay? His name is. I thought it was a woman at first because the name's Tracy, but Tracy mm. can also be a guy's name. Oh, his yeah. name's that. Tracy. It's based off the book The Walton Experience by Travis Walton and the screenwriter's Tracy Torm. And he didn't do a whole lot. He wrote for Saturday Night Live for a season and then he wrote the movie Spellbinder. He wrote for Star Trek The Next Generation for a couple seasons. He created the TV show Sliders. Oh, really? He wrote a couple of episodes for the... uh, uh, 90s Outer Limits, and he also wrote a couple of episodes of Carnival. So, so, he's so like he, has, he has a leaning for sci-fi. And he's co-producer for the 2007 movie I Am Legend. Ooh, that... Uh, well, I was going to say, ooh, that's not a good credit, but actually the thing is that that movie was, wasn't that bad. It's just the Watch studio the murdered the ending. You mean the, the real ending. The real ending. The real ending, the original ending they shot, the one that lines up with the actual book. And the one the studio said no. That's why I prefer the uh, early 60s Vincent Price version of Last Man on Earth. Oh, yes. Oh, I yes. Like, it's one of the few old black and white movies. The one I first watched, it it, it actually kind of, uh, not frightened, but it it freaked me out a bit. I like the Omega Man. Okay, you know, all right, all right, I'm going to give us the send out. We'll, we'll review I Am Legend and one of its film adaptations at a later time. Yeah. But Oh, but hey, remember when we were talking about they were doing a Mighty Ducks Oh my god! Series? Okay, the all guy, right, yeah, 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 yeah. we're directed, saying goodbye. We're the guy saying. directed Fire in the Sky, he directed D3, the Mighty Ducks. Why would you do it? Do do that to this man? Why would you let us know he made that? What what do you got to get, directed, Sam Colin? He also directed All I Want for Christmas, which is kind of like the. So he just started going for the paycheck, not the passion. It sounds like right. Well, well he directed All I Want for Christmas before Fire in the Sky. Well, basically, no, dude. He it's not that it's not like he sold out. It's that in Hollywood, you get what you can take, man. Yeah. 
Like, if you're not an A-lister, he's, you're doing whatever. You just give it to you so you can eat. Yeah, even if he's it's the most god-awful TV script now. you've ever seen. Right, because, dude, rents come and do whether yeah. or not you like the project. Yeah. He's directed a lot of TV episodes for, like, Falling Skies, Haven. So sci-fi. Uh, yeah, definitely. He's, Dex- Dexter. Sure. Well, really what these guys are, both writer and director, they're journeymen. Yeah. They're d- solid journeymen. Yeah. But yeah, kudos actually. Yeah, but they they deserve some credit here because like as much as it uh, as much as it differs from the actual account, mm-hmm. that's a haunting scene on the spaceship, yep. and like that's all the director right there. Like those are strong choices he made, and yeah, no, they made the right call in doing that. And also, yeah, the screenwriter, competent writer who just does all the little things right that just add up to a larger whole. Good job, Tracy. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm a writer myself, and yeah, like I, I, I like to give them love when they so often don't. Mm-hmm. That's fair. So, anyways, uh, that was our seminal episode or seminal inaugural. Yeah. My my apologies. That was our inaugural. Why can I not say inaugural? Yeah, inaugural. 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 It's also like how I can't say jewelry. Jewelry. Jew, Jew. Unless you have the word right in front of you. Burglary. 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 Shelby, come on. You got. There's got to be one word you can't say. Like, burglary. I dare. It's kind of hard to say, actually. Uh, I can never remember the pronunciation for nuclear. Like, that wasn't too bad what you just did. I can remember if it's nuclear or nuclear. Nuclear. Like, new, clear. Okay. So it's not nuclear, like they used to say. No. It's not. That's how George H. W. Oh, no. How George W. Bush would say it. say nuclear. Nuclear. Yeah. It's just nuclear. nuclear. Yeah, I just remember hearing that all the time as a kid, and I was like, oh, maybe I heard it wrong. Okay, I'll start saying nuclear. And then people were like, it's nuclear. I was like, oh, okay. Jury. Jury. Yeah, other than Jury. that, I can't yeah. think of anything, because I... With all the acting I've done, I have to learn right pronunciation, so... You see, with me doing all the writing I've done, I have to know how to spell it correctly. I don't know how have to know how to say it correctly. Yeah. That's why when I'm writing books and I come across stuff, I'm not sure. I have a decent idea how to wing the pronunciation until otherwise being informed. <laughs> oh, director Robert Lieberman said author Anne Rice told him that the film was the scariest film she had seen at the time. So, all right. <laughs> I'm, I, I just that's, don't know her taste in films, so it's hard for me to well, judge. Well, so she's a little old lady. Uh, yeah, so. I think that's pretty cool. But, if a famous author came up to me and said that, all right. that'd be like Stephen King. All right, I'm doing the outro now. Yeah. All right. Okay, thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, and we hope to have you along for the future. And uh, I'm your host, Brady Caleb Wilkinson. I'm Shelby Howard. I'm Colin Anderson. And uh, take care and good luck. <laughs>